What is going on everyone and welcome to another episode of the show. Good morning, good afternoon and good night to all of you. It is a great honor to have our next guest, Mr. Pat Dively on the show. Pat is a best-selling author, a corporate speaker, a world traveler and a high performance coach. This guy is a severe overachiever. He scales some of the highest mountains and he's helped some of the, the most amazing people discover their craziest dreams. And probably most importantly to me, um, he's helped others to discover their passion. And I often say that you should surround yourself with great people in order to grow in a very positive way. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are absolutely in for a treat. So without further ado, let's jump in to the show. Firstly, let me take a minute to welcome the awesome and wonderful Pat Dively to the show. It is an absolute honor to have him on the show. And how I normally kick off each episode is letting the guest introduce themselves rather than having me butcher it. So, <laughs> um, One of the ways I, I suppose I introduce myself now, because I do a lot of different things, is that I've been in fitness and personal development for the last 10 years. Uh, that's resulted in books and seminars, events, a gym, lots of different things. Uh, but everything I do is kind of centered around belief and belonging. So that's the idea that I want people to believe in themselves more than they currently do, because oftentimes we doubt ourselves. And I want kind of a sense of belonging. So being a part of a community. Sure. So my fitness was always about not so much sit up some broccoli, but more, <laughs> you know, see what you're capable of and be around like minded people. So that's kind of me. Brilliant, brilliant. And I guess hearing the full history or story of a person and, and the things that you've achieved, going back into the history is a really strong element for me. So would you be able to talk about anything around your your childhood or, you know, when I guess that you started to realize the different things that made you tick or the passion started to evolve or was there any kind of pivotal moments in your childhood when, when you can really kind of go, that happened and that made a big difference to who I am now. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think there was loads. I think um, I was, it's funny when you observe kids now, if you've got like nephews or nieces or anything like that and you see them, you can kind of see personality types emerging even as, as really youngsters. And I was definitely like introverted, shy, didn't believe in myself. Uh, I was bullied a little bit as a kid. And I think in my probably early teens, a little bit younger, I turned to martial arts and weight training as being my kind of way of building confidence. So I'd played all the team sports growing up, but they never gave me confidence. I didn't really feel they were me. Uh, sure. And finding fitness was the first thing, even at that young age, 12 or 13, that gave me real confidence. And so, yeah, I, I think that was a pivotal moment. And then I always tell people throughout school, I told myself stories that were limiting in terms of not being academic or clever or smart. I was a real critic. I, I look back and I realize, you know, we talk about bullies sometimes, other people bullying us, but we can be our own worst bully. And, you know, any of the times people said nasty things to me, they said it once, but I replayed it a thousand times in my head. Yeah. And so a lot of my teenage years and, and more so my younger years were, were kind of that. I, I didn't feel enough. I didn't feel... Um, you know, I looked at other people, put them on pedestals, thought that's OK for people like them, but not for people like me. And there was all these limiting stories. And I think later on, late teens, early 20s, that led me to want to be an achiever and to, to do things. Um, 
So another, another pivotal moment, I suppose. I told myself I'm not academic, not clever, not smart for six years in school. And so CAO time came to, to figure out what you're going to do in college. And everyone around me assumed sports science, physiotherapy, because I was so into fitness and nutrition. Yeah. I didn't think it was possible. So I put down arts and that's not a dig at arts, you know, in any way. But I thought geography and economics, this is a safe option. You know, I went for safety over, you know, and security over what I actually wanted. And I found myself doing a degree I had no interest in. Um, but the one thing that kept me sane was every summer I'd go off to San Diego and pursue MMA. So back before MMA was cool, I was training full-time out in San Diego. And I met a guy out there called Eric Coleman, who was a, um, a kettlebell coach. So was, I didn't know what kettlebells were at the time. <laughs> this guy is sure. like, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was what, 18, he was 28. And I saw so much potential in this guy and I saw how genius he was. And he'd always, he'd always talk about different people, how much potential they had, but he didn't see it in himself. And long story short, I came home to Ireland, got back into my degree and I got word that Eric had committed suicide. So he had had this dark cloud over his head that I, didn't, I couldn't fathom at 18. Um, but the one thing I took from all that was, I suppose life is short, you don't know what's coming. It's too short to be doing things you don't enjoy. And so I started pivoting more toward fitness as a profession. And I used him, I suppose, as inspiration. Uh, he had always believed in me in a strong way and I wanted to kind of uh, fulfill upon that. So that changed the direction of my life from finishing out my arts degree, but also pursuing what I wanted on the side. It's amazing. And I'm so sorry, obviously, to, to hear about that. Um, but to have to have that pivotal moment um, and to be able to reflect on it and to to use it in order to kind of to fuel yourself forward yeah. is, is amazing. How do you feel about the the education system at the moment? So when I think about my two young daughters growing up right now and I think about my own um, my own journey through education, the big problems that I've always seen has been, I don't know if you ever heard of Sir Ken Robinson and some of the talks that he's given, but around the batch processing of kids. So when a kid goes into first class now, it's, you know, maths for an hour and English for an hour and, and Irish for an hour. But, you know, that child may be really great at maths, but terrible at Irish and wants to grow more in, in the fitness world, but doesn't, you know, absolutely they need to learn uh, or, or to dip their toe in the water of different subjects but being able to self-discover or to find what you love or where your passion is I think it's almost neglected when you're when you're quite small you know you have all this creativity and imagination at the very beginning and it's almost um, removed from you as you go through this batch processing as a child you yeah know? yeah yeah it's um I suppose we've got what they call it right brain thinking and left brain thinking. So left brain is your logical and your conscious and everything else. And yeah, your right brain is more your creative and your intuition and all these things. And like you say, they suppress that side of us, which if you look at the high achievers of all time, that's what they're using is that. Uh, I think it's the right side of the brain that they, they tie it. So it ties yeah. across it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, my, I've got a buddy called Cameron Hurls. He did one of the original TED Talks and his TED Talk was something like why we should raise our kids to be entrepreneurs. And his whole take was that, you know, you box off certain kids because they can't excel in a certain area. Those oftentimes those rebels, if you want to call them that, turn out to be the ones that change the world in a major way. And we can see that across the board. Um, but, you know, I often think of an example of some say a kid with ADD. So ADD in school, they can't sit still. There's all these stories about what's wrong with them and everything else. But the same kid can come home and sit in front of a computer for eight hours. So that's kind of yeah. evidence that, look, their, their priorities are different. We're all, we've all got different, I was talking about value systems. We all value things in different ways, whether you're a kid or an adult or anything else. Some people value travel, others security, others material possessions. It's all different things that motivate us, inspire us and uh, light us up and energize us. 
And yeah, it would be great to have a way that we could kind of foster that creativity that they've got and the imagination that they've got. And uh, we think very linear now as adults because that's how we've been boxed off, like turn off your imagination and just think like everyone else thinks. And, you know, it sounds... But you're, yeah. I, I think it's very true because so when I started Minicorp or when I even a company before this, I really wanted to um, to instill a feeling of adulthood within the company, that we're all adults, that we own our decisions, that we that we challenge ourselves and we push ourselves forward and we fail and we we fail with pride and, and so on. Um, but even small little idiosyncrasies like, you know, you, I don't know when you're the most creative. You could be the most creative at three o'clock in the morning, or you could be the most creative at ten a.m. Mm. But you, as an adult, I would expect you to either learn it about yourself or to already know that mm. that's when I'm the most creative, and to tell me and say, "I'm not going to be in the office then. I'll be in the office for meetings and so on." But I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go and do my thing when I go and do my thing. But I found it that you know maybe there's an overlap of that childhood batch processing that then comes into the workforce of I come to work between nine and five, mm-hmm. and even though I might not be you know on top of my game during that period, I still come to work between nine and five, and I had to almost push them out of the office and say, "Get out there and go and you know if you don't know that you're you're creative at three o'clock in the morning, go and figure it out and then come back because I'll I'll win productivity wise when you get there you know yeah yeah I look it's that self-awareness piece that Gary Vaynerchuk and these guys talk about I don't I don't watch a lot of Gary's stuff but anything I've seen he talks about self-awareness and doubling down on your strengths and all this kind of stuff and it's just you know I talk about self-awareness in the sense that you're your own biggest asset or or your own biggest kind of roadblock in life and the degree to which you know yourself is everything and that comes down to you know knowing your fears your insecurities your vulnerabilities but also when you produce on the highest level and all the things that you're talking about there so um part of that is slowing down though because we're in such a fast-paced world that how can you figure out these things if you're on the treadmill all the time yeah and if i'm doing nine to five 40 hour work week smashing it coming home i've got all my other commitments you know sometimes you have to take that time to actually take stock of what's working what's not working otherwise we just go down the same routes that we've always gone down absolutely i think so i talked about this recently in in another episode but I, I was definitely the type of person that was running at 150% all of the time. And when I reevaluated that situation and, and brought it back down to 80 and gave myself the headspace of 20% um, to reflect and to, to challenge myself, but also to kind of go, you know, is this the direction that I want to go? Is it paying out? Is it, you know, um, I started to realize the, the task that I was accomplishing just seem to kind of follow on one after the other after the other rather than going for the overall big picture of what I really wanted to accomplish. Yeah, um, F- funny one on that in terms of like the, the taking stock and oftentimes we fight for our limitations. I was in Russia in August climbing a mountain and, and nice. what, what, I, what I like about the mountains is, you know, you have two weeks in a tent or three weeks in a tent or whatever amount of time, you're off technology, you're the first day or two you struggle with the disconnect and then there's a couple of whispers kind of yearning inside you saying maybe you should change this in in terms of your life at home yeah. and by the end of two or three weeks of silence and just being on your own or close to being on your own the whisper is kind of a shout and you can't really ignore it anymore if that makes <laughs> sense but for me at the time I remember being out there and I started fitness classes for anyone familiar with my story I started fitness classes about six years ago on my local beach with five clients no overheads outdoor classes that was what I started five years on I'm in Russia 
I'm at a stage where I have five staff. My wage bill is 20 grand a month just to break even on the wages. It was a completely different thing to what I had started. And it took me being on a mountain for two weeks on my own to look at this and say, this is not what I wanted. I, this just kind of came to me. Great yeah. complaints in some ways, but sometimes you have to pull the reins in and, and, and stop and say, just because I just because this is what I'm doing now doesn't mean it's what I, I always have to do. And so I've restructured things to keep it more basic because I'm sitting in uh, I'm sitting in Russia with people from all over the world having a great time listening to a bit of Guns N' Roses on a Monday morning out of a stereo nice. I'm yeah. thinking this is not a bad life how can I recreate this on an ongoing basis well first thing I have to do is hit my 20 grand a month so to pay the wages and then maybe I'll have a bit of additional but then I was like no that's not the only way of doing it maybe you could peel things back and make it more simple so it's, it's always good to take stock I think that's amazing <laughs> it, it is though like, and I think that that's the ego always wants it to be bigger and to make more money and all this kind of stuff. But like, there's a big difference between ego and fulfillment, I suppose. And, you know, if you can figure out what you want, that's the first thing. You know, I think oftentimes this might be going off tangent, but we go after so many things in life and we chase and chase and chase and we go this hundred miles an hour because we've no idea where we're going. So we assume that more is better and busier is better. And right. It's like, yeah, exactly. Kind of what if you knew what you wanted? You know, you could really slow it down. And analogy I always use, really simple analogy. If I get in a car with no destination in mind, I can drive for the next 24 hours, use the petrol, spend the money on the petrol, use my time and feel like I didn't get anywhere and, and be jealous of everyone that seems to have gotten somewhere. Yeah. Versus get in the car, spend 24 hours in the car, have a destination in mind, same amount of petrol, same amount of time. So in essence, what I'm saying is we don't need to work all that much harder. It's just a case of have clarity as to where you're trying to go. and. That gives you confidence because you feel like you're actually moving towards something rather than looking at everyone else's goals and seeing what you're not going toward. I absolutely <laughs> love that. I think that's amazing. Just a simple, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I've um I've gone through something like that quite recently where I think for some reason I, I found a lot of happiness well, I wouldn't even say happiness, but I would just collect lots of things. Like I would buy um drones and boosted boards and all of these things and what i started to feel was this strange responsibility to these objects that every time that i seen the boosted board you know against the office wall that i turn around to go i should really bring that for a spin i don't really want to bring it for a spin yeah, yeah. but i feel that there is some responsibility after me spending the money on that thing that i should go and use the thing yeah. and i just removed all of those elements and kind of went back to as you said back to a state of what if i pair everything back and even to a point of like you know do i need more than two pens do it like and question everything yeah and after a while i felt more free i felt more um open and just being able to to maneuver or, or kind of try new things and challenge new things and mm been able to make different decisions that perhaps the weight of those objects wouldn't have allowed me to before. Yeah, I think what you're talking about to a certain degree is attachment. And it's this like when you start, say you start a business, anyone listening here starting a business or has started a business, they'll resonate that you're starting. It's scary in some ways and intimidating, but it's exciting and you're creative and you do things your own way and you've got some influences and you've got nothing to lose. So you go for it. And then let's say a year in, you're doing half a million in revenue, you're doing really well. And uh, suddenly, because you've got supposedly something to lose now, because you had nothing and now you've got something, yeah. it completely changes the way you operate. Uh, and you, do, you don't act with that creativity, you act from scarcity. 
you know, I used to have goals of I want 10 houses and now I'm like, I've got one house and it causes stress. And if I lost the one house, I'd feel like I lost something. Imagine if you lost 10 houses, you'd feel the more you have sometimes, the more you feel you have to lose. And it's all an illusion, um, you know, because it's just a case of, I suppose, fear based thinking makes you want to get more and get more and get more and get more because you think there's a limited amount there for you. Uh, and also, I think one of the things I've learned in recent times is the more time you take every day to do things you actually enjoy that fulfill you as a person, the less of a need you feel for inanimate, in whatever the word is, inanimate ob yeah, objects. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've taken up jujitsu again for the first time in years in the last 18 months, and it's completely changed. Like, I don't buy stuff anymore. I, I didn't, I, I never really bought a lot of stuff, but I bought books and things. I really don't buy, I buy next to nothing now because I just train jujitsu every day. And I do breath work and I've got a few things I do every day that that's all I need. I don't, you know, and if, if, if you don't take time for those things, it's very easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I need that and I need this and I need that to be happy or secure or confident or whatever. Yeah. You only yeah, get yeah. confidence from doing things, you know. That's it. And there's experiences. And yeah, I just love the, the fact of, of questioning it. You know, do mm -hmm. I need it? Do I not? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's brave. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like stripping bare and, and being like, this is, this is me. I don't have all the cool stuff. But that's stuff, it. And it's, it's freeing yeah. as well. Because yeah. you're, you're, I don't know. Have, I, you, seen, have you seen Minimalism, the documentary? I've, so I've started to, um, to listen to Matt Devella's okay. podcast, but I haven't watched the documentary yet. Yeah. It's on the hit list. Something along the lines of, I think his whole thing was his, his mother died and his wife left him in the same week. And he found himself in Ikea buying, kind of like the scene in Fight Club where the guy's trying to have the perfect, you know, Ed Norton's trying to have the perfect. He finds himself in Ikea and he stops and he's just like, I'm going through trauma and grief here and I'm buying to make myself feel better. And so he stripped back to one of his buddies was a minimalist and he did the same thing. And it's cool. It's a really yeah, cool documentary. I'll check it out for yeah. sure. Um, so the next point I'd like to bring up is so I've been following your content for, for quite some time now. And the book that you've written is pretty powerful, but I've often wondered the amount of effort and time that must go into writing a book. Could you speak about that a little bit more? And, you know, how do you feel about the book now? It's funny. So I have three books now at this stage. Uh, the first two were around fitness, but the one I think most people reference is like Upgrade Your Life, the, yeah. the more personal development based one. Um, I, I see it differently to how a lot of people see it. I don't see it as being a big deal um, in terms of um, it's something I've, I've studied personal development since I was 13 and now I'm 30. So that's 17 years. And obviously when you do something day in, day out for 17 years, I mean, it was into all the personal development stuff before fitness nearly. So it's, it's kind of almost second nature, a lot of the stuff to me and the stories in it are just stuff that have happened to me through living it. And so I suppose when you're writing about something you live, if you write about your own life and you write about your own experience, it doesn't feel like it's not like a research project of having yeah, to yeah. go and, and and to me it's a kind of I wanted it to be a really straightforward book I got help from uh, a girl called Tara King who helped me in terms of structure and stuff like that just because she that's what she does um, so she helped me in terms of structure and and, and content um, you know fleshing out the content and stuff like that but really I wanted it to be a synopsis of like the best self-help ideas I've come across alongside analogies and stories that would make it more human um, so I, I never saw it as being a, a big deal. Um, the real book, I don't think I'll write until I'm, you know, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years old. And that's sure. when I feel like I'll have this massive breadth and depth of knowledge. Whereas now it's kind of like, this is what I believe about the world at this moment. And I said that in the first book that I wrote. This is what I believe about nutrition at this moment in time. It might be very, very different a year from now. And I take pride in that if my ideas are going to change over time. Whereas a lot of people are so attached to their ideas that 
they'd rather be right than be happy you know they're yeah. just so tied to it so that was actually my my next question is is around once you've written the book do you feel that the the set in stone element of the book versus your podcast and the progression and evolution of the podcast mm. are, are two different mediums and, and how do you feel about them I um, I've had this conversation with friends that like will have come from a background I see it now the more uh, the more I evolve personally and, and do events and seminars and retreats and just evolve myself you learn I suppose when I was younger everything was set a goal and a six step process this and you know the, it was everything was very strategic and then you sure. come into the real world and you're like okay life kicks your ass sometimes there's grief there's fear there's insecurities there's all this other stuff that's there and the six step formula doesn't work anymore yeah. and so you see you, you, for me I let go of all the goal setting stuff in recent years and I'm more about intention so I'm like I want to be a good person I want to have great experiences I want to lean into my fears that's kind of how I want to live it doesn't need to be specific goals no it's good to have targets and stuff but the way I think evolves and I'm not as sometimes when you're so attached to goals you miss out on all, everything else that's going on around you and you miss out on lots of other stuff because your blinkers are on um, so what I mean by that I suppose is I spoke to a friend before and he, he wrote a great book years ago and it was I think it was out of print and he had evolved a lot since writing this goal setting book and I said are you going to bring out that book again and he goes no nah, I've evolved a lot and I said but you have to realise that at that time when you wrote that book the stuff in it had helped you and a lot of people got benefit yeah, from that book exactly. so we're all at different points of the journey and so like the stuff in Upgrade Your Life some of it I would probably I, you know if I just given the chance I'd rewrite it or whatever else but equally everything in the book helped me and I think a lot of people to this day are coming and saying you know they're getting a lot from it it's a great introduction to self-help or personal development or whatever else so I think everything at its time and everything yeah. and it's nice too to see you can't become attached to it it's not, I, I look forward to like 10 years from now looking at those books and saying geez I was an idiot you know but at least I give it a go and I learned by doing it and, you're and, uh, mad yeah, I if I were you, I would feel an, uh, an amazing a sense of achievement. Yeah, no, I know, you know, I, I'm proud of everything now. And, and, and but like I say, you know, my, my thoughts and stuff will change. And I, but I, I'd all, I'd much rather regret. Oh, no, sorry, not regret. I'd much rather look back and say, Jesus, what was I thinking at that time? Yeah, yeah. Then just said, oh, I had it all sus, but I didn't bother <laughs> yeah, putting it. You know, because because sure. a lot I've of people the evolution. Yeah, and a lot of people won't release a book or won't release art. Like it's a bit. I, I'm from a personal training background. There was so many trainers over the years that came to me and said, Pat, uh, I want to get my name out there. And I'd say, okay, do some YouTube videos. Oh, I, 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 I can't. And the fear was, what will other trainers think of me? Yeah. And you have to let go of what other people think of you. And you have to be willing to make mistakes and be wrong. And put it, If you're going to put yourself out there, it's, never, it's not always going to be pretty. You know, my first 100 public speaking gigs were not pretty. But now I can do it. And the same thing with your books, same thing with your articles. You have to put it out there. And that would be my, my thinking, you know. Which kind of it, it segues us nicely into the next point, which is around your personal brand and and how you created that, and and when did you know that there was, um, a requirement or or the best medium in order to get your content out in the world is to create this personal brand and to go you know to to really push that. Yeah, uh, I suppose. Look, part of it was um, accidental and. Um, it just evolved in a certain way. Um, I was working 
get, so I, li- I lived up here in Dublin. Every time I come up, I walk around Dublin and it feels so different to when I was up here because I came up to Dublin in 2009, 2010, and I was going to be a success story. That was my dream. I'm going to be, everyone in Galway is going to say, wow, Pat's in the capital and it sounds <laughs> daft. But the big smoke. Yeah, yeah. Honest <laughs> to God, I thought that was it, you know, and when I came up, I struggled to get my feet off the ground here. No one knew who I was. I didn't know how to run a business. I was only 23, 24, fresh out of college, a little bit entitled. I'd come out of college thinking the world owed me something. Recession was at its worst. So, um, ultimately I struggled up here for 18 months cause I was too proud to go home and, mm. and say I'd failed, but eventually I had to go home and I was working a pizza shop for six months uh, trying to figure out my next move. And I went back to save some money to go back to college to study physio. So while I'm going back, my dad said to me, um, you know, you're down in the dumps, you're in your own head. Cause oftentimes when we are in the dumps, we're in our own heads and we're, we're and he said, get out of your head and go and help people in some capacity. It doesn't matter wow. what position. Yeah, it was cool. It was like, what, whatever position you're in, you can help someone. Cause that gives you a sense of purpose as well. So I said, look, I can start a little Facebook page here, share nutritional advice. I know all this stuff. I might not be a full-time nutritionist anymore, or a full-time personal trainer. So I start this Facebook page and I said, I'm doing free plans. Anyone want a free plan? People started contacting me for free plans and I started doing free plans. By chance, a guy messaged me and says, oh, here's my before and after six weeks later. And he yeah. looked phenomenal. So I shared the picture and went a bit, bit viral. And I said, anyone else want this? And that's how it started in terms of putting myself out there on social media. And I was watching guys in the UK and America. No one in Ireland was putting themselves out there in a big way. So I was just watching what, you know, my mentors and coaches were doing and, and lots of free content. And my theory was always, you know, what's the problem and how do I help solve it? So the problem was people want to lose weight. Um, they maybe don't have a lot of time to cook, so I give uh, easy to cook recipes. They don't have a lot of time to train, so I do 20 minute hit workout videos. It was always, what are they struggling with? How can I solve? A lot of free content, and a certain percentage of your followers are gonna come and, and give you some money to get more, I suppose. It's really, really good advice, and I think, I don't know how you find the, the putting yourself out there in Ireland, but yeah. you know, so I, I've taken a stab at many different things now from from vlogging to videos to to podcasting to Instagram stories and it's it's still amazing that you know when I'm flying down the road on a booster board or when I'm doing an Instagram story and walking by somebody there's still that that kind of feeling of the person turning around and going what the f are you doing <laughs> you know like yeah. you can feel their eyes burning into you going is that guy talking to his phone yeah. and I think you know, the obvious answer to that is to say that you shouldn't care what people think. Yeah. And I think that that is often very difficult to do. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of um, old school self-help, you know, just do it, just do it, just do it kind of uh, psychology. We're always it's it's predetermined in us that we've got a fear of judgment. Yeah. Uh, everything is fear of judgment. Like people talk about fear, fear of failure. It's not a fear of failure because you fail privately all the time. The fear is what if people see me to fail? That's what the fear is, yeah. if you think about it. Like, I, wow. you, I was asked to go on the uh, six o'clock show or one of these TV shows, and they said, will you do a bit of cooking? Because I've got a cookbook from back in the day. Sure. And I was immediately, I was like, no, fuck, no, no, no <laughs> I don't know if I can curse. No, I was like, no way. I would cook at home because I wouldn't care because I can't fail because I'm just on my own. But if yeah. I cook on the telly and I do wrong, I'd get judgment attached to that. So we all have that fear. But the one thing I think separates people that will put themselves out there ongoing and push themselves and lean into it is you have to see something greater on the far side and people forget that. So if there's a thousand people in a room and they're all afraid of public speaking, the only ones that will go and public speak are the people that can see something worthwhile on the far side. 
Right. So for me, I'm at this point where I'm working a pizzeria. I don't want to be working a pizzeria. I'm petrified. I'm the biggest introvert you'll ever meet. I, I, if, like I talk about, I was shy. I was nervous, intimidated, all these things. When I was younger, the only thing that pushed me into getting on a stage or getting in front of five clients on a beach was I don't want to be broken, depressed anymore. I don't want to not be able to buy my mom a birthday present, Christmas present. I don't, you know, I, I, desperation. Wow. Now that is... So you have to think about that. You know, people it's think raw. about, talk about the why or whatever it is. You know, that's, there's always this idea of why. If you go to a marathon, 99% of people at a marathon are wearing a charity top. They're doing it for something more than themselves. And oftentimes that's the case. I'd imagine, I don't know if kids, yeah, but you, you have kids. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine having kids will get you out of your own head to a large degree. Because if you, you've got to put food on the table, suddenly it's not, oh, I'm, I'm an idiot with Instagram stories in front of me on a, on a hoverboard. It's, it's, this is an opportunity, you know what I mean? You have no idea how true that is. <laughs> like, especially when it comes to um, not, not really caring what people think. Because when we go to a restaurant now, like, we just don't care what people think. Yeah. Because the kids could be throwing food or, or something, you know, something is bound to happen. Yeah. But you just go... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, come, come back to my dad, you know... Um, I suppose in line with putting yourself out there is criticisms and haters or whatever you want to call them. And there's been times over the years where I've struggled with that and I'd go to my dad and just be like, dad, this guy's just giving me dog abuse online. Same guys keep coming back. I'm banning them every platform. I'm meeting these people in person. They're shouting abuse, you know, just just nasty stuff. And I, I wouldn't mind random people there's trolls all the time but it's kind of when it's people like close to home that are in Galway or whatever and you're like, what are you doing? You know, it's, yeah. it seems crazy to me. I remember my dad telling me last time, he's like, Pat, I promise you four or five years from now, you can be starting a young family. This kind of thing is not even going to enter your mind. You're just not going to have time to be worrying about this kind of stuff. Like you think it matters so much now, give it a little bit of time. You're not going to care. Again, you're in your own head. And it was, you know, he's got some good advice. <laughs> I think, I think I I'd, I'd literally kind of, I, I would love to wait, your, wait to meet your dad. <laughs> he's a good man. Um, so the next point I'd like to, to briefly talk about is, is challenging yourself. Yeah. And it's something that, um, it's something that I've tried to get better and better at. Um, mm. But the question that I would have is, do you have a fear of it? And, and how do you deal with the fear of challenging yourself? So an example for me would be the first time that I've ever tried to get up on a stage and do some public speaking. It's not that I really had a big, um, you know, tick the box or, or something that was life changing for me on the other side of it. It's just that I honestly believe getting yourself out of your comfort zone and trying something new and going through these experiences far outweighs the boost of boards or, or any of those inanimate or yeah. objects in general. Yeah. Um, and I was terrible for the first time, but the fear of it was lesser than the the success of the challenge, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's this idea, if you don't tackle your fears, they'll chase you down for the rest of your life. And I'll use this example of, you know, I used to hate dancing. I don't know what it was, <laughs> just like hate dancing. Yeah. And, uh, I'd go out with some friends that would enjoy dancing. Maybe it's like girls that I went to college with or we'd be out and would like, come up on the dance floor. And the more I would resist it, the more intense the feelings would get of anxiety around having to dance. If I just got up and danced, it would be fine. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll get up in a little while. I'll get up in a little while. So but um, challenge is everything in life. And I think it's it's something I'm, I'm talking a lot about this in corporate talks at the moment in terms of if you think of the comfort zone, everyone's familiar with this idea of the comfort zone. It's where we're complacent in work and we're just taken away or we we're in the gym maybe sometimes, but we just no routine, whatever it is, comfort zone. We're in a relationship and we just get comfortable. 
So we're familiar with that. And then every now and then there's a time where you want to shake it up and you're like, okay, I need to need to improve things here. Most of us take on too much too quick and we end up in the panic zone. Yeah. So we jump the gun and then people forget in between is the stretch zone. So this is like the magic zone. And the analogy I'll use is if you think about a skateboarder, um, that that whole industry has evolved more in the last 20 years than like any other sport. They're doing things that was never possible, you know, and it might seem like a, 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 an interesting example, but think about guys like Tony Hawk, uh, who do, like one of the most famous skateboarders ever. He's doing things now or was doing things in the last couple of years that were never thought possible. And um, the reason I bring up skateboarding is that if he gets on his skateboard in the first day, and he's like, I want to do a 1080 flip. Yeah, yeah. Not going to happen. He's going to end up in a hospital and broken skateboard and all this kind of stuff. So what he has to do is turn up every day and stretch himself a little bit. Enough that he's challenged uh, because if he doesn't challenge himself, he stays in the comfort zone. If he pushes himself too much, he ends up in the panic zone. If he lives in the stretch zone every day, mm. he comes back a little bit stronger. And effectively, you make the impossible possible. So what seems impossible today becomes very possible. My example in that was public speaking was the scariest thing in the world to me. I set out a challenge of 100 talks in a year, did 100 free talks in 2014. Uh, schools, yes. colleges, wow. yeah, just anywhere that would have me. Schools, colleges. Um, I spoke in an old lady's shed down in Roscommon. <laughs> uh, anywhere, but it was this idea, you know. And I have the same goal at the moment. You know, I want to do fifty keynotes this year, where each time, like I've done enough keynotes now for it not to be a challenge. Yeah. But anytime we're not challenged, it leads to boredom and complacency, and that leads to mental health issues. You know, to take it to the extreme, you look at, you know, increased. People watching too much TV and, and too, watching too much social media, there's no challenge involved. And so that leads to problems. Boredom is not how we're supposed to operate, I don't think. So, you know, I talk about my 50 keynotes this year. My goal is every time stretch myself. So that might mean telling a joke that I don't know if it's going to land. It might mean be more animated when I'm telling a story. But if I can stretch myself every time, just a little bit in the 50 talks, I'm a completely different presenter in December. And people will call me a natural at that stage and say, wow, he's made to do this not having seen my first 150 talks yeah. you know um, overnight success yeah, yeah yeah same as the gym look if you go to the gym today and you try to bench press 200 kilos on your first day you're going to end up dead under the bar yeah. uh, if you go in for the next 100 sessions and you focus on a small little improvement and you give yourself time to recover that's important too that's how you so for challenge challenge yourself recover challenge yourself recover but it, the magic zone is they, they've done research and they've said this idea of flow is 4% every day uh, okay. You don't need to worry, obviously, about the percentage too much, but they've shown top performers will there. You've got your challenge and your skill set. So skill set might be my ability to lift weights, my ability to present, my ability to do a podcast. I need to push my challenge 4% more than what my current capability is. And that forces me to grow, but not so much that I come back, you know, wrecked and scared and panicked, you know? Yeah. And, and if you were to convert that into, let's say, the real world mm. of, you know, how... You know, what, what I'm thinking about in my head is, let's say there's this person in a nine to five large corporation job. Mm. And when they think about getting outside of their comfort zone, they're probably thinking about things like um, doing a presentation or even leaving that job and trying something new or going to the next level. Yeah. And so they'll see the mental block of I can't do it in my current surroundings or how do I get that four percent with the tools that I have at my disposal right now? Yeah. Guaranteed everyone can do it because uh, I use the example when I was the worst waiter in the world back six years ago. <laughs> I work in the pizza place, but if you put me back in the pizza place now, knowing what I know now, I'd be a much better waiter in the sense that you got to do the best with where you are. 
And if I was back being a waiter, I'd be thinking, right, what's the problem here that I'm trying to solve? Because everything's problem solving. I want to pr- provide a great experience to the people coming in so I can learn how to say hello and thank you in different languages because there's tourists coming in. I can learn the wine menu. These could be ways that I stretch myself. So it could be anything. Uh, for someone who's a super busy professional, I was talking to a corporate group today about this. If you're super busy and you're, you're busy is one of the labels you put on yourself and you're proud of that and everything else, then your challenge is probably going to be doing 10 minutes of meditation a day and that's how you stretch yourself. So oftentimes it's not quite linear but for the person one of the things that happen one of the reasons we get scared is because we set excessive goals um our goal is too big it's great to have the big goal and the big vision but you have to break it down so with the corporate person that wants to transition into a job they love my advice is if you see yourself as being a point a and the job you love has been point z just ask yourself what does b look like yeah, yeah, yeah. B might be like i get a prospectus from the local college what does c look like i have an interview in the local college. what does d and it's that kind of thing because at least that way when you're at D or, you know, just hypothetically speaking, I can say, well, look how far I've come already and there's a bit of tangible progress. And that's that stretch. Yeah, you know, I love that. It's it's almost like breaking it down into doable, sizable chunks that can be accomplished each step. Yeah, and we, you know, we build confidence through seeing the actions we've taken. And yeah. what happens, particularly in the workspace, this is the main area where people struggle, I think, is they really box themselves off and they say, this is my profession. I've got family support. I've got kids to support. I can't change. And I've looked at the numbers. If you do a 40-hour work week, eight hours of sleep a night and a week you've got 72 hours left now granted you've got your family and your health and different things to look at but could you give a couple of hours towards this transition and over six months to a year like you're going to be a year from now you're going to be a year older yeah uh, as outside of that everything is in your control like you you can decide you know you might be a great salsa dancer if you just take up salsa you might be able to speak italian if you take up italian but what the difference is between where you are now and where you'll be next year is the actions you take and for me if you could dedicate the 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 funny thing with this, if, if I look back at teachers I had in school uh, that were ready and wanting their, just a couple of them that were waiting for the pension and they were just riding a wave, two or three more years left and they didn't want to be there. And it wasn't fair to us as students, but to go a step further, and this is where it applies to us, is it wasn't fair on them as people. We're supposed to be challenged and a third of your life is spent in the workplace. Creating flow is important. Creating this challenge is massive. And it could be anything. If you have two, two guys on a construction line beside each other, one guy it might sound cheesy but one guy setting himself challenges and saying i'm going to make 20 of these in the next hour yeah that increases the challenge relative to their skill set and they find this state you hear about in the zone in flow state that's how we create it is putting putting ourselves in positions where we have to you know step outside of that but we can all do it you know and it's um people really paralyze themselves in the workspace i would say decide where you want to go and then create a lot of mini steps towards making the change because one more one more bit on that which i think is i've been thinking about recently if i work in the corporate world and i feel like a corporate slave and i'm doing it just to make money and i'm, I'm sorry, effectively i'm giving up my life to make money because that's what you're doing you're, you're spending a third of your life to make money and that's one thing and that's not a knock at anyone but that's if, if that's someone's choice they're giving up their life to make money unless they enjoy what they're doing but the day i step into work and i decide i want to be a personal trainer i want to be a yoga whatever you want to be the, your dream doesn't start the day you start a personal training course. Your dream doesn't start the day you become the personal trainer or the day of your first client. The dream starts the day you step into the corporate world saying that today is there so that I can put money aside toward me becoming a personal trainer. So that's when your life changes, I think, you know? I love it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I often, I often think of the analogy of the person who doesn't challenge themselves as um, a person who's in a dark room and their objective is to get to the door because they've been in that dark room and they know that room so well they just go straight to the door 
versus the person who is challenging themselves and has never been in that room before, they have to feel the walls and they have to see what's on the ground and trip up and, and kind of, you know, discover where the door is. Yeah. And even though the objective is only to go out the door, you've learned about the room. You've gotten all of this additional experience and additional uh, information and data and everything from the simple challenge of just getting to the door, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And if you're not challenging yourself, you're just on autopilot and you're going through the door and and almost in a state of unconsciousness. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's what life is about because, you know, you look at, if you think of a lotto winner, most lotto winners get, win the money and it's gone in a year because they haven't changed as a person. They haven't been challenged in any way. You think about as much as you might hate Donald Trump or have your thoughts on Donald Trump or any of these guys, they can lose everything they have and very quickly get it back because they've got the belief systems and the skill sets or mindsets to feel like they deserve it. Yeah. And it's because they've gone through the challenges and um, we see it all the time. You see kid, you know, I don't know, you see stars that made all this money and because and maybe they got it too quick and they don't feel challenged or worthy. I don't think you feel worthy unless you're challenged. And um, the reason I got into fitness well, I got into fitness because it gave me confidence. I didn't understand it on an intellectual level at that time. But looking back, I recognize that fitness is something, no matter how much money you have, no one can ever do your push-ups for you. You can't pay someone to do your push-ups for you. And so you've got to do the work yourself. When you do the work yourself, you build self-esteem and confidence because you know you did it. Like you can go to bed at night, look in the mirror and say, I got a little bit, a bit better today. You can buy hoverboards and you can buy all these things. And, you know, they give you a false sense of security, maybe to a certain degree. But fitness gives you that belief and, and, and taking it a step further showing up for the next 30 days in your workplace even if you hated your work and you said i'm going to set myself a mini goal every day to stretch myself whether it be talking to more people in the workplace whether it be learning a couple of languages of my colleagues you yeah. know language whatever it is guaranteed it'll change the way you look at your work life and, and give you that self-esteem and teach you so much stuff that regardless of what you end up doing in the long term you'll have all these skill sets developed you know brilliant so I'm going to ask you about one one last item and that's that's around mindfulness and especially in the tech industry at the moment yeah um, so now I think mindfulness and, and meditation especially has become more and more of a in vogue or um, I guess adopted strategy, especially when you see the apps like Headspace and Calm and everything coming out. How do you feel about them? And I've, I've another question then around tech, which I'll ask after. Okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, mindfulness, um, it's kind of a fancy word, but to me, what it represents is getting out of autopilot. So the way I kind of describe it to people is we're all in autopilot to a large degree because take, take tying your shoelaces or commuting to work as examples. If I had to figure out every morning how to tie my shoelaces, life would be a little lot slower. If I had to really consciously think about my drive to work life will be very slow and so our brain starts firing these circuits together what wires together fires together what fires together wires together so you think about you know a time in your life where you heard a song at a special moment and you'll always connect that moment with that song our brain creates shortcuts all the time where that becomes an issue is where the shortcuts happen that we don't even notice um in the seminars they get people to kind of cross their fingers interlock their fingers interlace their fingers and just notice like one thumb is on top of the other because you've done it thousands of times for no other reason than yeah, that. Yeah. But you didn't have awareness about that. It's just a habit. And we all have habits that we've no awareness around. You know, you might find when you're stressed, you reach for a glass of wine and it's in your mouth before you even think about it. So mindfulness really is drawing attention to the habits that are helping or not helping and just slowing everything down and seeing the world for what it is rather than the shortcuts. Um, meditation, 
I've always struggled a little bit with meditation. I think you have to find what works for you. I do something called Wim Hof breathing. That works really well. I think a reason people struggle with meditation is that it's not so tangible. So if you did 10 push-ups last week and you do 12 today, you can see progress. And so it's nice to keep going. But meditation, sometimes it takes doing it every day and then maybe missing a week. And you say, oh, my life fell apart when I missed the yeah, week. But it's not yeah. it's harder to track. Um, but I believe it's just about we live chronically in our heads. We're always in our heads. We're always on. We're chronically stressed. We're anxious. We're overwhelmed. We're thinking about the future and past all the time. What is the thing that you can do for yourself where you get a moment to connect with your body and just be present in the moment? Uh, and for me, it's the breath work with Wim Hof and it's jujitsu. So that's my mindfulness. Uh, sure. And that makes me a better person across the board. Um, but f- I, it doesn't need to look a certain way. It doesn't need to be cross-legged for an hour under a tree, uh, humming and hand or going on an Indian retreat. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You might enjoy that buzz and that's cool too. I'm going becoming a yoga uh, instructor in July, randomly enough, just as a hot, you know, aside. Wow. But, um, and I've only done a handful of yoga classes in my life, but I like that immersive experience of going to do 200 hours in a month. Um, but yeah, what can you do to connect with you yeah. and disconnect from everything else? So I, I often get worried about that. I, I get worried about um, my, my kids, Lily and Nina, as they get older and they start to go to school and the rate of change that happens in the world right now. Um, we've kind of stepped away from this departing of knowledge from the parents to the kids of don't eat the berries or something that's in a life cycle within within the kids and the parents instead now because the world is changing and and the technology and the adoption of of different um, apps and so on it's very difficult to distill good nuggets of information to your kids you're kind of it's it's more in broader terms of really arming them with exceptional creativity and imagination and the skills in order to look at the surroundings and how things are for them and to depict the right and wrong path and when I see how the world is changing towards this mindfulness and meditation move and more people are adopting it it makes a ton of sense because so much social media so much of your phone is trying to grab your attention and the same with you know your your computer and and everything that you use now and I wonder that will that taxi driver that has Halo and Uber installed on his phone and his taxi cab will he through mindfulness or, or meditation turn around and and say I don't want that in my life anymore and I'm just going to use one app and so that that application that is the top of the the taxi food chain will stay installed on all of the different taxi drivers phones but the the person who's in second place or third place will die as a company because of that that mindfulness from that taxi driver if you know what I mean and I'm I'm worried about you know, all of these applications and things, will they start to fall by the wayside as we become more diligent on how we're spending our time and what we're allowing ourselves to consume and becoming more healthy, I would assume? Yeah, I think it's hard to know um, in terms of... I've thought about this with alcohol, so might that might go a different route but if you think about someone a lot of people try to give up alcohol or try to take a break from alcohol and you take the alcohol out of your life for a lot of people and suddenly you've got 20 extra hours in your weekend 
Yeah. And one of the secrets that I found, I went out of alcohol for a year just as a kind of challenge to myself. One of the secrets I found is you have to replace those 20 hours with something else, otherwise you'll create chaos. Um, <laughs> that's generally how we, you know, you'll find yourself scrolling the newsfeed, looking at someone's page who you don't like. You say, what am I doing here? I'm just trying to, the alcohol was creating messes in my life. Now I'm just trying to do it myself. You try to be, you want to be stimulated in some way and have a chat, again, a challenge, you know, particularly as entrepreneurs, we like to sort problems out. Yeah. So sometimes when business is going smooth, you start a fight with your partner because you need to be able to fix something. <laughs> um, or maybe that's just me. Um, but what I mean is, I suppose that vacuum will always be filled, I think, to a large degree. It's great to see mindfulness coming through. I just hope it, it does. There's a, gr- there's a great book recently by uh, Cal Newport called Deep Work. Sure. And he talks about, you know, deep work is where you really go in and you're doing the stuff that makes a difference. It's not checking emails and doing Facebook and doing social media and fooling yourself into thinking you're working. It's like, what's the, it's writing a book or it's doing an article or it's doing the, the heavy lifting that's not easy. And he kind of talks about like, it's becoming a rarer and rarer commodity because we all want the instant gratification. We all want the instant results. We all want the quick fix. And so be, when something becomes a, inva- a rare commodity, it becomes invaluable, it's, it's massively important. And so like the biggest skill set our kids and ourselves can, uh, can kind of take on board is focus and, and the ability to focus yeah. for long periods at a time to produce really meaningful work. Um, I'll be honest, you know, even though I'm in the health space, I don't see people taking on mindfulness to the degree that, the degree that it's gonna make a massive difference the way that you see it cutting out a lot of technology. Unfortunately, I think the robots have got like more power than than people's ability to focus. They've done studies recently. There was the goldfish study that came out and they showed how our attention span has dropped over the last couple of years down to a couple of seconds. And you can see that in the way social media content is is delivered. But coming back to, you know, the the idea of kids coming through and the, the scary world that the kids are coming up in, I think challenge coming back to challenge, it's the biggest thing because they have everything and we have everything at our fingertips now. Like you don't have to climb Everest anymore. You can look at a video of it on your phone and think that you've done it. Um, you know, we went through a spectrum of emotions, meeting partners and, and um, meeting meet your first girlfriend. Now they're on on the on Facebook at 10 or 11 with five or six different relationships on the go, you know, so it's like they, they think they've experienced everything. And the only way you can get true fulfillment is to do the work. So coming back to fitness working towards your belts in martial arts or working on you know becoming an elite level irish dancer whatever your thing is i think that's the thing that we need to you know as when i'm a parent my focus is going to be find what my kids love find what their thing is and make them stick with it like don't let them like if you sign up to do something you're doing it for at least a year even if you decide you don't like it anymore you're gonna make it because that's how you learn discipline i love it i love it Okay, I think we will we will leave it there. I cannot believe the amount of time that we spent talking. That was <laughs> that was some really good nuggets of information and wisdom there. So I just want to say a big thank you again for coming on the show. I Thanks, really man. really appreciate My it. My pleasure. Thank you. And yeah, if you could just quickly um, run through different ways that people could possibly get in touch with you and, sure. and reach out to you. Uh, Patively.com is my website. Uh, going through a transition at the moment with uh, just switching platforms on that. Uh, Patively on Instagram or Facebook. I'm using LinkedIn more because I'm trying to be a grown-up now. <laughs> so, uh, ironically, I built my whole business on social media, but I enjoy the real world a lot more now that I did a couple of years ago. So I try not to be too much on, but Patively.com if you want to touch base. Perfect. Thanks, Million.